Uh, again, just welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're in the middle of a series here that's called The Marks of a Disciple. And we've just been taking a look at a number uh, of different things that followers of Jesus are to be marked by. And so we're actually going to take a look at two of those this morning. Uh, because we canceled last week, we kind of get uh, combining two for the price of one teachings here this morning. And uh, hopefully we can do it in, in half the amount of time and, and there would be a miracle here um, this morning. But anyways, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into this and talk about two marks of a disciple that, that we hope to have here in our church. So let's, let's just pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do just want to look to you this morning. We just ask that you would meet us here, that you would uh, really open up a channel from you to, to us, to every person's heart here this morning. Help us to hear from you what you want us to hear. Help us to be marked by the things that, that you first marked your disciples with, where we want to be your, your followers today, in this day and age, and, and all that it entails, and, and we know we need your help. So I pray you'd meet us here, teach us this morning, help us to uh, respond to anything you, you give us to, to respond to, to obey this morning, to change, to bring in line with you here this morning. But we just commit this time to you. We ask for all this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here. Well, we're going to look at, uh, I've got a picture here that's a... Uh, uh, if this is, there we go, oops, okay, this is, really this picture, I was looking through images, we're going to talk about really two, two marks of a disciple, and I would say you could summarize those marks in, in two words, and they are a, a cross and a nail, and I love this, this picture that I found just of this old wooden cross with a nail in it, and um, so we're going to start by talking about what it means by being marked with a cross. And then we'll talk more about the nail. The cross might be a little more straightforward. I'll explain to you what I mean by being marked by a nail here. We'll look at some scriptures on on both of these. But I just thought it was a great image about what we're going to talk about here this morning. Uh, We're going to read this passage as it relates to taking a cross, to being marked by a cross. Some of you um, might be familiar with this. This is in uh, Probably uh, three out of the four Gospels have this passage almost identically each time. And so um, we'll just read it and we'll look at what it really means here to be marked by a cross. So if you just read along with me, if you've got a Bible, you can pull it up. Otherwise, you can look on the screen here. But he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Goes on to say, just the end of that passage, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so what does it mean here? I underline that phrase, uh, take up his cross. If we want to follow Jesus, uh, we have to be someone who would take up our cross. And, and what does that mean? Well, let's look at, might mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, one might be this, you know, take up your cross. This is, uh, is this the rock? Is that, what's the guy's name? Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah, it's not to be confused with the rock. That's the other guy that looks like him, right? Um, so, Vin Diesel, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's what it means to take up your cross. Get a little bling bling. I don't, it's not bling bling anymore, it's just bling. Um, but, uh, or it could be take up your cross like this. Uh, women, this, if you're going to follow Jesus, bigger cross earrings is part of the equation, right? Um, 
Another one, here's an even bigger cross. Uh, maybe that's what it means to take up your cross. I had another picture of a guy that was, uh, boy, he was wearing his swimsuits and a huge giant cross. And it was like a very mm, abnormally big sized cross. And, and yet it was kind of borderline scary picture. I didn't show it. But, um, you know, so does take up your cross I mean the more spiritual you are, the bigger the cross is that you carry? Maybe, um, maybe it means take up uh, a wooden cross. I don't know if you guys have noticed our, our handy dandy cross here. Maybe to follow Jesus means we need to find something like this. Oh, ooh, uh, that's about as far as we go. Um, and take up a cross like that. Some people might think uh, to take up a cross has to means uh, dealing with some physical affliction that you have. You know, I think about, um, you know, my wife deals with migraines. And, uh, you know, some would say, well, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's her cross to bear. But, you know, that none of those are the cross that Jesus was talking about. We want to make sure we understand what it means to take up our cross so that we can do it. And so that we can be his disciple. And so... Um, what does it mean to take up our cross? So, you know, here's, um, here's the, I think we've got a blank that you can write down some of this in. But part of taking up a cross means to receive, to take on shame, rejection, and persecution from this world. Because you identify with the name of Jesus, because you're a follower of Jesus. Um, think of... Uh, you know, the context of this passage that we're reading, Jesus said, he told people, hey, you're going to have to take up your cross. But what was going on in this situation was that Jesus told his disciples, here, I'll back up a couple verses from where we had started. And um, it says this in verse 31, 831 of Mark, he said, he then began to teach them, he's talking to his disciples, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. And then he goes on to call the crowd together. And he says, if anyone would follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And, and Jesus was speaking in the context of uh, the idea that a cross back then was a form of public execution. It was a form of humiliation that a person deserved for the life that they lived. And, and Jesus said, hey, they're going to they're gonna persecute me. They're going to kill me. They're going to mock me. And... Uh, and Peter said, no, no, let's not let that happen. But Jesus said, no, you must do this as well. If you're going to follow me, you, you have to be prepared for this. You can't avoid that. You can't think about yourself only. You must think about God's interest more than your own. And so, um, you know, there's, there's some things, you know, it means not being approved by this world. It means, again, being rejected. And a few things Jesus says, some other verses here. I have in parentheses, Matthew 24 verse 9, John 15. Some of these things that Jesus said to his disciples, one time he was telling them about the things that were to come, and he said to his followers, one of the signs that you're getting near the end will be, um, in verse 24, verse 9, he says, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Jesus said, hey guys, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a point in time uh, where you're going to be hated because you're taking on my name. You're going to be persecuted. Uh, other places, John 15, 18, he says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. 
There's something about a cross and identifying with Jesus that uh, the world... The world is going to, if you take up a cross, you're going to face rejection. You're going to face disapproval. You're going to face shame from this world, um, just like Jesus did. And I've just, reading through the one-year Bible, some passages like this recently, I was just struck by how Jesus was called the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God came into this world. He lived perfectly. He showed us what love was, and they hated him, and they killed him. And he did it perfectly. And we're his followers and we make mistakes and we are not perfect reflections of Christ. And how much more are we going to be hated? Um, And I think we have to realize that that comes with it. Sometimes I I think we can go, well, I'm a modern day Christian, have the ability to adapt. You know, we can be accepted by this world. We can fit in uh, and and we can follow Christ. We can get the best of both worlds. But that's not what Jesus said it was going to be like, especially the closer we get to the end, you know, I'm reminded of some of the things here um, in Revelation. It talks about how um, Revelation 20 just says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. Revelation 6, it says, uh, a lot of the things of the end time are not going to play out until, it says, um, until the number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus were martyred. Some of these things aren't going to play out until the number is complete. You know, I read some of that and I go, beheading seems so, like, that's just not modern day execution, right? But what do we see on the news recently? We see beheadings happening. I don't know if you realize that within the last two weeks, there were a number of Christians who were beheaded. Christians from Egypt were beheaded. And, and Jesus said, there's going to be persecution for, for you if you follow Jesus and if you try to live by his word. We talked about a disciple is marked by his word, but there's things that are coming that are, are uh, Jesus spoke about. And we have to prepare our hearts for them. Um, I read a quote recently from a guy that's a, he, he was a pastor at a mega church and he, he started, started going into some other doctrines about not believing in hell and things. But, but he said this, that any church, you know, I'll paraphrase it, but any church that believes really the, the things that the Bible says about a biblical marriage like we do, he says they are irrelevant in this day and age. He says a church like ours would be irrelevant to our society here. And, and that's one of the nicer things people would say about what we believe uh, about God's design for marriage and, and physical intimacy within marriage. And, um, you know, the, things are coming down the pipeline. They're going to be more and more challenging. But in order to, to do this, to face this, it all starts, really, we have to take up our cross. Part of prerequisite to that is, is we must die to ourselves. Um, You know, we can't be living to please ourselves, to please for our own glory, for our own pleasure, and living to please Christ at the same time. Uh, Sometimes I'll hear, occasionally someone will say, I just have to be true to myself. You know, a lot of times being true to oneself equates to a person who's truly selfish. And as compared to being true to Christ, there's things you do when you're true to Christ that are very selfless, like Christ himself taking um, our sin upon his cross when he didn't deserve that and we did. And, um, but we must die to ourselves if we're going to do this. You know, this is different than self-denial. You know, sometimes we can do things like um, 
Obviously, we're in the season of Lent here. I know when I was growing up, we, we always did the Lent things. There were some religious things. When I was in college, I'm not a Christian yet. I think I gave up things for Lent, like, you know, candy or something like that. And I probably should have given up drunkenness and things like that. But, you know, I was doing my part to deny myself for the sake of Christ. Uh, I love this quote I read here just recently about this. It says, denying self is not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial when, for a good purpose, we occasionally give up things or activities. But we deny self when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey His will. You know, we can make little sacrifices here and then. We give up caffeine. We give up this and that for a season. But to deny ourselves is to put ourselves at the feet of Christ and have Him at the throne of our lives and, and just being submitted to His will. And so that's really where this... We need to start there, and then there's other things that are going to play out as a ramifications of that. Um, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He says, um, the principle runs through life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. There's something about looking to ourselves to find life that leaves us lacking and empty and wanting. There's something that looking to Christ, there is a promise of of real life there. And so, um, let's see what else we have here. So why should you and I, we're just going to close this point off with why should you and I take up our cross? You know, one is just so that we can be his disciple. Jesus said, hey, he called the crowd together. And, you know, it'd be like him just calling us together and say, hey, if any of you wants to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up a cross. Um, I don't know about you. I have that desire. It says, if anyone wishes this, anyone desires this, then here's what you must do. I desire that. I think a number of you in this room desire to be followers of Christ in this day and age. and, And that's one of the reasons why we would deny our selfishness and take up a cross. Another reason is so that he won't be ashamed or embarrassed um, by us when he returns, when he brings history to a conclusion. You know that phrase there just said um, that when the Son of Man, let's see here, read it earlier here, when the, uh, sorry. One, two, three. I lost my sheet, there it is. Um, If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. When when Jesus brings things to to a conclusion here, you know, he's going to bring to light those who were not ashamed of him and his words and those who were. And really, you know, we can... Pick our, our choice of shame here. You know, the, either we can face the shame that the world would give us, or we could face the shame that would come from our Savior, our Lord, uh, when we lived a life of selfishness and denying Him. And uh, I don't know about you, but that was something I wrestled with before I became a follower of Christ, before I became a Christian. I, I kind of thought, what do my friends think about me? What do my family, you know, what are they going to think about me? If I, they're going to think I'm some sort of Jesus freak if I get baptized and I go public for Jesus and. And I wrestled with this very question here. Will, will I be ashamed? Will Jesus be ashamed of me? Or will my, will my friends be ashamed of me? And, and I decided between the two of those, I, I would take, uh, my friends could be ashamed of me. I would rather Jesus not be ashamed of me when it came, push came to shove. And, you know, I went on to become a Christian and get baptized. And I knew when I got baptized that people would 
you know, you, you kind of go public when you get baptized. You identify with the name of Jesus. And I knew some of my friends were going to start making fun of me. And, and sure enough, they did. And I was afraid my family might be let down that I got baptized because I was brought up in a very traditional church setting where I was sprinkled as an infant. And I thought, oh, this is really going to offend my, my parents. And, and you know what? It, it didn't offend them. They, they were glad that I came to that choice on my own. But there were some that mocked me and there were some that did not. And I started to realize who really had my best interest at, at mine. And, and some of those I thought were my friend friends were, were really not, you know. And um, But anyways, there's a... There's a dying to itself, deciding, are we going to be ashamed from this world or from, our, from the Lord, you know? Last thing is, there's a promise of finding true life. You know, uh, I love this in the, uh, in the Living Bible. Uh, it, it's paraphrased like this. It says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your own pleasures and shoulder your cross and follow me closely. If you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. There's a promise when you die to yourself and you take on the cross of following Christ. There's a promise that you will experience true life, what it means to really live. And, and these are great motivators for doing that. Um, this last quote here from C.S. Lewis. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us, he invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. You know, that idea of dying to self and, and letting Christ take us over is where we find out who we were truly meant to be and, and how we're to find true life. You know, so... Um, there's some things just to think about and wrestle with there as far as taking up our cross. And I hope that, um, you know, you would be thinking about dying to selfish desires that would conflict with following Christ here. As we wake up tomorrow morning and head to the office and different places there, that we would go with the cross, not necessarily with the, with the bling or, or with the big cross, but representing his name and, and living by his words in, in whatever you know, environments we find us, ourselves in here. Second part of the cross we're going to talk about here is just um, be marked by a cross and by a nail. What do I mean by by a nail? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Let's look at this passage here. And um, this is one that Jesus was talking to his disciples again. We can just read this together. Um, but it says, uh, let me flip my pages here as well. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And really what we're going to draw out on this has to do with the, the phrase I underlined there is just, uh, or even the word slave. One part says, if you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant. Another one says, uh, to be first, you must be the slave of everyone else. In the context here, uh, right before this, uh, you might remember the story, James and John were basically asked Jesus if they could sit on his right and left hands in heaven. Um, you know, there was this ongoing argument between the disciples of who was the greatest. You know, I still... I still just can't even imagine, you know, kind of 
talking up your resume about why you're the greatest disciple. Um, I don't think, we, we don't do that around here. At least we don't do that publicly. I think sometimes in our hearts we can have things about why we might be better than someone else and why someone else is lower than us or we're higher. Or You know, we, the disciples were a little more honest. They, they wore this on their sleeve. We tend to keep that to ourselves sometimes. But um, I just imagine, you know, it says, when the, the ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You know, they were like, I can't believe they're asking to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand. And one translation even says they had their mother ask Jesus. You know, I mean, what, what a low blow. You know, go have your mom ask Jesus if I can sit at the right or left hand. Uh, you know, that's, that's just like, but part of me wonders if the disciples weren't like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe I didn't think of that. You know, oh man, they, they won up to me on this one. Um, but Jesus went on to, to train, to imprint, to mark the disciples of what really they were supposed to be like, what being a servant and being a slave was. You know, this phrase, a slave here, um, is seen a number of times in the New Testament. A number of times, the first disciples, the apostles, identified themselves by this word, a slave. And, and it comes from this Old Testament concept. Um, you know, uh, in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, there's a place, I'll just read you this idea of the type of slave they were talking about it was really a, a bond servant. And Exodus uh, or Deuteronomy 15, you know, it says this. Um, if your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, uh, then he shall serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, you shall set him free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from the threshing floor and from your wine vat. And you shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And therefore I command you this today. And it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go from you, because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. And you shall also do likewise to your maidservant. But there was this idea in the Old Testament, uh, you know, slavery in, in the Jewish concept was more, a lot of times, more like a form of employment, to pay off a debt, to, to come by some money that you needed or whatever. And at the end of a period of time, seven years, you were to be released. And, but he's saying here that when one was released, they could say, you know what? I don't want to be released. I don't want to go. Uh, I love my master and, and his family, and it's been good for me here. And then he could take, and, and all, if you do some research on it, you know, and all is kind of like a, a nail. It's like the modern day nail is like an old school all. And uh, if you look up, I found some images on it all, but they looked an awful lot like the nail that was in that cross there. And they would take the slave and they would nail their ear to, to a door or to a doorpost to signify, I'm going to be with my master for the rest of my life. And that was an Old Testament picture that, that gets brought into the New Testament, you know. And um, a number of times, again, uh, Paul identifies himself this way. And James calls himself a, a bondservant. Paul says, I'm a bondservant. And Jude says, I'm a bondservant. And um, there's a number of... John in the Revelation says, uh, I'm an apostle and I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it carries with it the idea that you... You had the freedom, you were released, and yet you made a choice, willingly volunteered to offer to stay with your master and serve him for the rest of your life. And, and this flows throughout, this is a language that is used throughout the New Testament here. And, and I think we have to catch that. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to catch that idea. There's a couple verses here. Let's see if I put them down here. 
You know, uh, Philippians, it says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, and goes on to say that he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Uh, same word here. You know, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, the word was ebed. Meant a slave who voluntarily stayed with their master. The New Testament, the word is doulos here. There's two words that are used. Servant is used for like a deacon and things like that. Just a couple times in the New Testament. But this other word, meaning a bond servant, a slave, a voluntary slave, uh, is used over and over again in the New Testament. The disciples identified themselves this way. And, and it affected how then they lived. Um, and, and the heart that they had, how they served. You know, And so... Um, you know, so one of the questions would be, you know, why, why, would, why did they do that? Why would any of us do that? Why would we go? You know, in some ways, when Christ died for us, we've been given our freedom. We don't have to do anything for God. It's a free gift. And yet, why, why did all of the di- disciples uh, offer themselves this way? And I'll just read, um, read this verse here. It's Romans, um, Romans 12 and verse 1. And it says... Uh, Let's see here. Paul, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And Paul was telling others that um, in light of being set free, God's mercy means he took the punishment we deserve. We were set free from sin and the death that was required, even the eternal death. And yet, in that freedom, he says, I'd urge you to offer yourselves back. Offer your bodies. The only way you and I have a place in this world is through our bodies. Without our bodies, we we are not operating in this world. Uh, The idea is, offer yourself back because of what he's done. What he's done for you. And, um, you know, again, it's it's a voluntary thing. The idea is total devotion, and yet it's a willing offering. And and really, that's the heart that the disciples had here. You know, I think... uh, a disciple is marked by a bondservant heart, uh, an ebed attitude, and and that's what we want to have. And, and that's different than just, uh, sometimes we think about serving. Oh, you know, how much do I serve? Uh, I serve a lot, or I don't serve a lot, or I serve in five ministries. Or Sometimes when you have that mindset, you, you kind of start to think about uh, serving like a slice of the pie. How much of the slice of the pie am I giving to God? Well, I'm sure giving Him more than anything else in my life, so that's good. Very different than the idea. Sometimes that comes with an attitude, like, I gave you a big slice of the pie here, so uh, what's the deal? Why should I do anything else? Or, you know, I'm giving you a slice of this pie, volunteering here, and yet I'm bringing an attitude of like, whatever you do, don't treat me like a slave, because I'm a, a you know, decent person here. I'm, I'm doing this out of dignity. It's not, don't you dare look down on me. We can have an attitude even as a servant. But when you're a, a bond servant, uh, an ebed, it, serving is a way of life, and you serve any way that the master needs. And it's, it may include things of serving in your skills and your passions and your gifting, and it may include serving in something you would rather not do. But if you're a bondservant, you do whatever the master needs. I love this quote here by Rick Warren. He says, um, Real servants don't try to use God for their purposes. They let God use them for his purposes. If you want to be used by God, you know, and you just release the rights to, well, I, I want to be used by you, especially if I get to be in the spotlight, especially if I get to show off my skills, my talents, my passions. I really want to be used by you that way. But you know, the, the heart of a bond servant is, Lord, whatever way I can serve you, 
that's what I want to do. And maybe it's on stage, and maybe it's behind the scenes. Um, you know, so we have some opportunities here at the firehouse where we're going to need some serving here. Um, and we'll see. We've got a little survey we want to pass out on this. But, you know, we've been talking about um, doing two services here. Um, Starting, starting in Easter, two locations. We're going to have a, a south location, and we're going to have one here in the highlands. And as we've been talking about that, one of the things that becomes real clear real quick is that we need two sets of servants, uh, two sets of people in, in child care, in the band, in the, in the soundboard, doing PowerPoint, doing the cafe and the connect and the follow-up. And so we have a, a very real felt need for, for servants to, to meet the need in any way that any way they can and so we're going to be passing out this survey here that has um i could look at it if if i get a copy but it really has a couple categories that you can just look through maybe there's some ways you're serving already maybe uh i think it has you put a c down if there's an area you're currently serving in and and then maybe an x for those places you're interested in serving in um but Again, these are things we're, we're needing to probably start passing around some sign-up lists for our Sunday school rotation. We have, you know, uh, our philosophy here at, at the firehouse is pretty much if you have kids, we, we'd love you to check our church out. And eventually, if you go, this is my church, my home church, we ask parents to join us as a part of the Sunday school rotation in the nursery. A lot of times, just with the age group that your kids are in, join in the nursery, join in the two to fours or, or the other classes there, and, and just help, help carry the load there. And we just um, ask that parents would participate. We're also going to be even recruiting, uh, you know, I think about couples. Maybe, maybe you don't have kids yet. We'd love to sign you up for the nursery as well. And, you know, before it's too late, before you change your mind, you know, uh, you can kind of go, oh, wow. And maybe, maybe we're going to pass on this uh, having kids thing here. Um, I served in the nursery for a while. But, you know, um, hey, uh, no. Anyways, uh, there's... Worship, you know, like uh, Greg announced today, we're going to have a worship and a sound and a, a media vision meeting after church today. We'd love to have you join if you would like to serve in that way. We're going to tell you kind of what our heart is for, for that ministry and then what the opportunities are there, what some of the prerequisites might be. We'd love to have you join us. We're going to have a bunch of pizza here um, for, for after church. I think even some gluten-free options as well. Um, the cafe team, you know, we don't get um, we don't get Denver's finest church coffee out, out of thin air, guys. It, it takes a hardworking team working together, uh, you know, to get the right formula there. And uh, we need people serving there. The Connect Ministry, people who will greet and welcome those that join us, and, and often the Connect Ministry is also um, those who follow up with someone who's visited us, and, and they take a gift to them and things like that. Um, the setup team, you know, and in our two locations, we're going to have two different sets of needs, you know, in some way the setup around here is kind of walking around, make sure things are clean. We, we get to actually keep things, store things here. The setup for the south location is probably going to be hauling some equipment around and stuff. So we'll need some people to sign up for that more than the setup around here. The cleanup ministry, I know there's a need for volunteers in the mercy ministry here as well, but we'd love to have you guys just... Um, one, we're going to collect these, and then we're going to try to map some of your interests, some of your willingness to serve with some of the specific needs that we have. I know we're going to start passing around some sign-up lists that will include two sets of Sunday school and, and two bands and two setup teams. And so I hope you'll be keeping an eye out for that. But um, really, again, 
our hope is that as a church that we are making disciples, disciples who are dying to, to self and, and selfishness and, and identifying publicly and taking a, a, up the name of Christ, and disciples who are, are marked with a bondservant heart, with a, a, an ebed attitude, willingly serving in any way that's needed, humbly, without attitude, without, you know, uh, different things that are rights that we want to claim sometimes. And so, anyways, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a morning here, and we will have that uh, interest meeting for the, the worship, the band and the media, right after we're done here. So, let's just go ahead and pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do, um, we do just thank you again for um, just giving us the opportunity to be your disciples. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we deal with our own selfishness and, um, God, that, and as we deal with the fear of man and the approval of others. Lord, help us to care more about your approval than the approval of those in this world. Lord, I pray you'd help us each to have those um, bondservant hearts, Lord, where we just thankfully offer ourselves back to you. Not that we can pay you back, but that we can say thank you. And, and Lord, help us as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices that, um, Lord, that we may do that as often as is needed. Lord, sometimes we, a living sacrifice crawls off the altar. Lord, help us to just freshly offer ourselves to you in any way you want to use us, any way that would bring you glory. God, I pray that we would be a church full of disciples who are marked by a cross and marked by a servant heart. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us here this morning. And we'll see you in the interest meeting afterwards here. And, and next week, I think Greg is going to be talking about a disciple being marked by faith and prayer. So uh, we'll see you next week.